Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other lovely little podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And while I haven't checked the temperatures everywhere, it seems that there is a very good chance that it is currently cooler here than wherever you might happen to live. So it just seems to me that it might be a very good time to come do some running or hiking or biking on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, this week on the show, we are taking a closer look at the trends in running shoes for 2020, and I am joined by Maddie Hart and Gordon Janini to talk about things like the appearance of knit uppers on trail shoes, the trend of putting bigger and bigger heels on shoes, that's a thing. Uh, We talk about marketing copy and whether it has in general gotten any more helpful or accurate. And along the way, we even, in real time, design our own Blister Pro shoe. It's amazing. You're definitely going to want a pair. I can't wait for you to hear all about it. Then we wrap things up by talking about a few current events, and then we get an update on Maddie and Gordon's upcoming plans, which are actually quite cool. Turns out those two are really good at running, whereas I just do running. Anyway, we had a lot of fun in this conversation. We hope that you have fun listening to it. And so with that, here we go. Well, I am here with Maddie and Gordon. I'm happy to see you guys. I mean, I I get to talk to like, you know, I talk to Maddie or I talk to Gordon, but it's a little rare these days where the three of us get together and I frankly could not be happier right now. Yeah, it's been a while. That's the biggest compliment of my Thursday. <laughs> also, I don't talk to anyone anymore, so this is great. Yeah, right. Coronavirus. <laughs> I know. I know. Someday. I'm happy to be talking with you guys. We've got some fun stuff to cover today. And, you know, as you two have been working, you know, for, I mean, it kind of never really stops, but updating like these running shoe brand guides we do i i just realized it was kind of time is like i want to get you two on a call and sort of do some do a bit of an overview on like trends that you are currently seeing in the current running shoe market right and so that's the first part of our work and then second part we're going to talk about some current event stuff And I'm going to actually use that as an excuse to kind of get an update on how you two are doing. So that's what we got. And so with that, talk to me a bit about what the market is doing, right? It seems like there are certain years where we see a bit of consolidation and everything is a bit more moving to sameness. And then there's other years where certain brands are kind of getting weird and getting real innovative and novel. Gordon, we'll start with you. How would you characterize the current broad market at the moment? Um, In true 2020 fashion, I would definitely say it's more on the uh, weird and novel side of things. Um, 
there are a lot of brands putting out both weird shoes, but also um, just kind of innovating on various different technologies. So one of the things that I've noticed um, starting to show up more, especially on the trail side of things, uh, we've seen a lot of road shoes have these kind of sock-like knit uppers for a while. And this year, it seems like a bunch of brands are bringing that into their trail line. And so now you can go get yourself a pair of Solomon S-Lab Sense 8 soft grounds, and they look like a pair of socks with big gnarly lugs on the bottoms, and it's really weird. Um, so that's something, and a couple different brands are doing stuff like that. Some of the new Nike trail shoes, Nike Wild Horse 6, has more of like a sock-like upper. So that's an interesting trend, and I think for the most part, it's a good thing. They're kind of weird looking, but yeah, that's something I've noticed. It's kind of interesting. I've also noticed a lot of brands are kind of starting to shift towards more customizable shoes. So like Solomon came out with the uh, Cross Pro this year, which uses that kind of stock style upper, but it's stretchy in four directions. And so it's supposed to like conform your fit, your foot and be all custom fit. Technica actually came out with a shoe that's fully thermo moldable to go stick your feet in these like hot pressure boot things at a Technica store and it molds the whole shoe to your foot. So yeah, I don't know. It seems like there are kind of these broad trends towards like more flexible, different upper materials, but then also each brand is kind of taking their own take on that and running with it. And the results are interesting to say the least. The idea of the knit upper on a trail shoe Right. I actually love knit uppers and stretchy uppers on road and even surfaces. I'm having difficulty imagining how or why I would want a knit upper if I'm starting to get into off camber, rocky, rooty trail running. So what are the companies saying about that or are they not saying anything about that? I think like a big thing that a lot of the shoes that have this sock knit upper, it's designed to be fast. So it's not like they're definitely building these uppers that are going to hold your foot in place on super technical terrain that you're going to be on for a really long time. So like with Solomon's shoe, it might serve really well for racing purposes, but if you're going to go out and be on trails all day, you might want a shoe with more support through the upper. But I think like when you start, I mean, it's just a weight thing. You know, if you have the sock knit upper, it's going to be lighter, which for a lot of people, that's essential for right, but a fast shoe. When you're talking about for racing, are we talking about like smooth, single track dirt still? I mean, if it's got trail lugs on it, I, I just, I don't understand the lateral support part of this. One thing that like that, the whole knit upper thing definitely started out on road shoes. So I was also kind of surprised to see that transferring over to trail shoes. Um, one thing I know Solomon is doing in particular, um, I mentioned the Cross Pro. Um, so that has these kind of wing looking things on the sides, much like the F-Lab Ultra 2 that are made of a stiffer material. Um, and so the, the upper itself can stretch and conform to your foot but then it's got kind of like a second layer over the top that's stiff. So supposedly that holds your foot in place more. Um, I haven't run in those yet, so I don't know. The one shoe I have run in that has that kind of knit style upper, the F-Lab Solomon F-Lab Sense 8, 
uh, the regular version. I definitely didn't feel like it was quite as stable on off-camber terrain as the previous version of the shoe, which had like more of a normal upper. But again, they do have some like stiffer overlays on the sides that connect the outsole to the lacing system. Um, so you're not just like totally sliding around like you would if it was a true, like a sock with lugs on the bottom. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting trade-off for sure. Cause like they're way lighter, but I don't feel quite as secure when I am on technical terrain. So yeah, trade-offs. So just in terms of how, and we're, I'm not trying to single out any one brand, but are brands addressing this? They're like, yeah, you get the lightweight, comfortable feel of that flexible, super stretchy knit upper. And it's, as we always see brands doing in skiing and mountain bike or whatever, and no compromise in stability, you know, or anything like, are they doing that move? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sure. Pretty much. Okay. Cool. I mean, I, in my experience, most running shoe brands, every single shoe, they're like, this shoe is awesome and light and fast and will feel great on everything. And I'm like, eh. Super cushy and fast. Right, yeah, like that's why Blister exists. So we can be like, well, no, not exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think brands are, are doing that. Well, it's nice to see that the outdoor industry is still, we don't need to worry about the outdoor industry putting us out of business. Um, since we, yeah, there's we're still, good. yeah, there's still a place for us to come in and be like, well, actually, and you know, I'm not mad about, I'm not mad if companies are sort of spinning out and creating a broader range of products. Like I said, I'm a big fan of like stretchy knit uppers, but that's on frankly, mostly for road running and for even any of the trails I run in Crested Butte, I don't think I would be. I don't think I would feel comfortable running in the kind of upper that I go out in on roads around here. But I don't know. Maddie? I think one thing that I just keep, it seems to be more of a trend is like, it seems like as trail running is becoming more popular, the notion of creating like specific shoes like the road industry does is starting to fall more into the trail side of things. So we're starting to see, you know, trail shoes that are designed to, serve purposes like the Nike next percent, which is super specific to running fast on the roads. But then, you know, we're having more sh companies that are bringing similar types of innovations to the trail side of things. And I think that just has to do a lot with how popular trail running is becoming. What else are you seeing, Maddie? You got a trend for us? One thing I've, I've noticed a lot is the outsoles of shoes. It seems like more companies are starting to integrate Vibram and use that in their outsoles. Um, I don't know, Gordon, if you have opinions on it. I think it's great. And I think some companies won't do it because like Solomon, I think they have their own technology. So they're not going to integrate Vibram, but more shoes like Scarpa and New Balance um, and other brands are starting to bring in Vibram, which I think is making them, you know, more competitive in the market. I like Vibram. I think it works well and it serves, you know, the desired purpose of providing a good grip on a variety of surfaces but it's also like maybe it's just a name brand thing yeah they i think um definitely more brands are starting to use that and it's interesting even some brands like ultra for example does have a their own uh kind of proprietary uh, outsole material but they've started using vibra mega grip on a lot of their shoes for the outsole and hoka does the same thing. They use Viber Mega Mega Grip on a lot of their trail shoes. 
And I think it's awesome. I think it's better than most individual shoe company outsole compounds. But yeah, I, I would agree that it's, it seems like it's making a making a more of an appearance across the market. I like the fact that you guys are both pronouncing it Vibram. Is it Vibram? Oh. I mean, I kind of think it is, but I've gone back and forth on this forever. And I, oh God. I like this. I frankly, personally like the sound of Vibram better, but I kind of think it's Vibram. But mostly I don't really care. We really like your outsoles. We're sorry if we're pronouncing the name of your company wrong. Forgive us. I spent like many years calling it Vibram and I finally made the switch to Vibram and now you two for better or for worse, might be sucking me back into the Vibram pronunciation. So I don't know what's happening here right now. Vibram souls or Vibram souls seem to be becoming a thing across more brands as opposed to, say, we're seeing fewer brands using them. Is that is that the trend we're identifying here? I would also, the other thing I've noted, different from outsoles, but seems like a lot more shoes are jumping on the bandwagon of making an ultra specific shoe. So Mm -hmm. pretty much every company that I've looked into has made something with more cushioning designed for longer distance running. Um, And I don't know if that's, you know, new specifically to 2020, but it seems like a lot more companies are starting to realize that's a, an important audience to hit. So I've noticed that. Let's talk about these specific ultra shoes. Tell me about them. Yeah, so I'm reviewing a pair of Scarpas, the Scarpa Spin Ultra, which is new in 2019. So it's part of like the the spin lineup. And they originally made, you know, lighter weight shoes with a, a Vibram outsole um, designed to be fast in the mountains. I'm going to change my... Are you? I could be wrong, Maddie. You should, I don't know. Stick... I'm going to just switch it up, you know, <laughs> keep it fresh. Yeah, okay. okay. I'll just keep saying Vibram so that at least we're guaranteed to be half, right half the time. Right. I'll say Vibram. Gordon says Vibram. Maddie, you change every other time and, and then, yeah. Scarpa has a pair now. Solomon now has two different shoes. And then you could argue the Sense Ride three is ultra also an ultra targeted shoe um la sportiva recently made the jackal which is more cushioned than some of their other shoes so more designed for the longer distance pursuits i know ultra has the olympus four and hoka you know has a handful of shoes they've been doing the whole high cushion mid to higher drop for a long time so a lot of these shoes too have the like you know, six, five, maybe at the low end of a drop, 10 at the high end of a drop, um, which a lot of people would argue is great for long distance running just because of the support it gives your calves and Achilles. Some would also, if you believe in ultras, would say the opposite of that. Um, by the way, Maddie, you're saying ultras, but you mean specifically trail ultras. Yeah, yeah, not their road shoes. They're their trail shoes they have. So when you say we're seeing a kind of proliferation of shoes specifically designed for ultras, you meant here for trail ultras. But, I mean, are we actually seeing more road shoes being designated specifically as, like, ultra road? The only one I really think that comes to mind for like racing for road ultras would be the Hoka Carbon X, which the whole design purpose was that with that shoe was for 
50 mile 100k road like their whole the carbon x project um which i mean i think hoka's good at trying to hit the the long distance stuff anyways i don't know gordon do you have any thoughts on have you seen any trends with the roadside not not so much on like the ultra specific shoes for the roads um road ultra running just isn't nearly as big as trail ultra running is I think more road brands are starting to have higher stack height shoes, which was kind of set off by the whole Nike next percent carbon plated thing. Um, so yeah, that that's something I've definitely noticed on the road side, pretty much on the trail side, everybody has their cushioned ultra trail shoe on the road side. Everybody has their super high stack height, super light, super fast road marathon shoe. I haven't noticed kind of the, super long distance road specific shoe market really exploding. Do we need to call carbon a 2020 trend in shoes or are we not, not quite there? Carbon doesn't get its own trend. That was like, that was hitting a few years ago, especially on the road side, like 2018, 2019 is really when the whole carbon plated shoes really started to take off. Um, I think it's only going to become more popular because all these other brands are trying to compete with Nike because there was the whole conversation around, well, I'm sponsored by Brooks, but it's not fair if I can't race in Nikes because it has like been proven to give you an, like an advantage on the roadside. So I think then all the road companies were really starting to be like, okay, we're going to design a shoe with carbon so that our athletes can be competitive and not have to wear Nikes. So, so we think everybody's kind of already there. That's not still an emerging thing. It's already happened. At least on the road side. I mean, I don't, I can't think of any trail shoes with carbon. It's the next thing, Maddie, we need our knit upper trail shoe with carbon. Boom. The blister Maddie pro I have to make this? Yeah, we got to figure this out, but I think that's how... It'd be a group effort. Yeah, group effort. I don't think my sewing machine can handle that. <laughs> we'll just chisel off some carbon from, you know, one of the mountain bikes we're testing. You knit the upper. Gordon, you're probably the smartest one of us, so you just take all the pieces and, and put it together. But, I mean, we got to be first to market, right? Nobody's... Gordon will put rocks in the outsole knowing his geology background oh, that's right yeah, yeah, yeah there we go great idea use some diamond in there It'd be great again if we're trying to just identify trends and what's kind of on the uptick or what's maybe had its moment on the roadside with carbon you think most of the brands have kind of already done their shoe with the carbon whatever and so we're you're not expecting to see this year or next year carbon moving into more, you know, a different range of shoes or more brands picking that up. Oh, no, I fully anticipate that. I well, think then why did you the, say that this shouldn't be a trend? No, no, I, I don't. I don't think it's a new trend to 2020. Yeah, I yeah. think it's been becoming more of a thing. But it's trending. I would say it's hmm. trending upward. All right. Sorry, hmm. sorry. The tense threw hmm. me off. You're right. <laughs> um, now that you've no, said I, I'm right, we can move on. But no, just kidding. Keep okay, going. Great. Just keep going. <laughs> That's how I said it. <laughs> Um, no, I think, I think the, the way that it's getting put in shoes, like, especially even with training shoes and maybe shoes designed more for workouts, but that aren't your racing specific shoes. Um, I think we're going to start to see more carbon in those because they feel good. I mean, running in the carbon X, I was like, 
all right, these are sweet. You can go fast in these. So I see why like having more versatility in where they're putting carbon and how much they're using. And um, I think we're going to see more innovation with that. And then also with the cushioning paired with it and, you know, energy return, the technology is only going to continue to improve as more people are making them and testing them. Yeah, I think it'll also be interesting. Um, so in January, the World Athletics Association um, banned road shoes. Well, any shoes with the sole thicker than 40 millimeters and shoes that contain more than one carbon plate. So I think it'll be interesting to see how manufacturers try to work around that because you know they will, right? They'll be like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have this 39 millimeter stack height shoe that has one plate, but it folds back on itself six times. <laughs> yeah. Carbon accordion. Exactly. So I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see um, both what new innovations come out of those regulations. And then also if that's where the regulations stop or if they continue to be like, no, we're going to ban these shoes. Because honestly, that kind of a ban could start to impact the whole maximal shoe market if they keep escalating that if they're like okay now we're going to ban shoes it's like 35 millimeter stack heights suddenly like half of hoka's line is legal right so it'll be interesting to see where that goes up now are you guys aware of conversations like happening in that space like you or did gordon did you just throw out like if they do move that to like oh it's actually we're gonna go from 39 to 35 is that a conversation that's happening right now or not that I know of, that's more of like a theoretical situation, but I, I know there was a lot of controversy around the next percent, like we were talking about. Um, and so I just, I wouldn't be surprised if that conversation does take place as brands continue to try and find new innovations to make their shoes faster that fit the current guidelines or regulations. We've been talking a lot about kind of maximalist shoes with fancy new knit uppers or carbon in them or whatever. So let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Again, as a generalization in terms of just the offerings from all of the brands across the board, I kind of think I know the answer here, but in terms of more minimalist shoes and zero drop shoes, are we just seeing fewer of those right now or they still exist, but it's the kind of maximalist stuff that's getting more attention right now. Give me your sense of what's going on there. Um, yeah. So I, I think kind of similar to last year, really the last couple of years, um, the brands that have been making minimal shoes pretty much specifically are continuing to do that. Um, or brands that have like a minimal offering are continuing to do that. So like Ultra still has the superior. Um, Innovate still makes a lot of really low drop shoes. Solomon still has their super minimal racing shoes. Same thing is true on the roadside. There's the brands that have had minimal shoes in the past continue to have that. What I have not seen that we were seeing, I don't know, five to 10 years ago, is that every brand has a minimal option. So there are a lot of brands now that have done away with their minimal shoes. So I think on the whole, the number of super low stack height, super low drop shoes is kind of on the decline. But yeah, I don't know, Maddie, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just going off what you kind of ended with there, I don't think it will ever go away. Like, I don't think there will ever not be minimal or zero drop shoes. Um, because for some people, that's like their saving grace and they swear by it. 
a lot of brands are just starting to, you know, not feel like they need to cover the whole spectrum of the audience. They're targeting just their niche more. And I think, you know, there has been more research done about how the minimal shoes actually impact you, especially like when there was the whole like minimal shoe running boom um, when Born to Run came out. Um, a lot of people got hurt because they went from wearing normal shoes to wearing no shoes or wearing, you know, like little pieces of rubber under their feet, which leads to injury. So I think there was kind of a, a swing back the other way where, you know, now we're seeing more maximal shoes, but also I think people are just realizing like, oh, the answer isn't necessarily running in a shoe with zero drop and no cushion. Um, yeah, like it might be, but it isn't necessarily obviously true for everyone. I actually had a really interesting conversation about this on Off the Couch with Tony Post, who is the founder of Topo Athletic. But at the time when kind of the born to run phenomenon was happening, Tony was the president of Vibram. And my general take on this is I blame the runners. I, if you were dumb enough to like be like, great, I'm throwing away my like cushion shoe I've been running in forever and go put on some five finger glove, you know, shoes, socks and like just start running 10 miles. And then it's like, weird, I got injured. I'm like, you're dumb and that's your fault. And I actually thought Tony was a lot more charitable and he was kind of like, well, I think we probably could have done more just like, hey, people, like, ease into this, you know? And so I, I thought Tony was very charitable. I mostly just blame idiots. I think you're an idiot. If, if you did that and that happened to you and then you were shocked, I'm like... But, I mean, you you can see that with any trend. If, if you go from running in a 10-millimeter drop shoe to a 0-millimeter drop, even if it's still cushioned, or even if you go to, like, a 2-millimeter drop, the chance that your body's not going to love that is still there. So... I think sometimes, you know, people either bounce around until they find a shoe they like, which that can lead to injury. But then you see a lot when people find their brand that they like, they just stay there, which, you know, is what then brands end up. That's their target audience. These are the people who like zero drop shoes or they like the 10 millimeter drop shoes. And I think that's coming to light a little bit more just brands they know their audience more. It's growing. We have more people coming into the running and specifically the trail running realm. But, you know, just brands are hitting their target audience. When we're talking about kind of, quote unquote, more minimalist to my. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but like some of the big brands are not offering a true zero drop shoe. Nike's not doing a zero drop. Solomon's not doing a zero drop, right? I would say no. So just for the record, like, it's not like you were saying earlier, like every brand is kind of doing their more minimalist offering. But they're not, they're not necessarily zero drop. So like even Solomon's minimal shoes still has what, a, a four millimeter drop? Just, just clarifying for the people. Yeah, they're definitely minimal and cushioning, but. Yeah, I think more what I was getting at is like in the past, especially during the whole born to run barefoot running phase every brand did have a super minimal zero drop option um and now there are still some brands that are sticking with that but not every brand has that anymore next trend what are you seeing sure um so one thing i've noticed and i think 
I don't know how across the board this is, but it definitely has been notable as I've been looking at new shoes to review for this year, is it seems like a lot of the updates that are coming out now are a little bit heavier than the previous versions of shoes, which I thought was interesting, um, particularly in the light of what we were just talking about, the whole minimalist trend. There was a while there where it was like, oh man, if you're you know, version two of your shoe is heavier than version one. Like, what are you doing with your life? And I think now a lot of brands are realizing that one, people don't just care about weight. If you have a super light shoe that's not comfortable at all, people aren't going to dig it. And then two, I think in some cases, at least brands are doing, I, I think there's just more of a market for like the slightly more built up shoes now. And so I, it's it's been interesting to watch that kind of reversal from always has to be lighter, always has to be lighter to like, no, let's see what we can do to make this more supportive or have a little more cushioning or make it more comfortable or give it better traction. And if that adds a few ounces or grams, that's fine. So is it the case that you think that we're seeing a bit more weight coming to the shoes primarily kind of for comfort reasons or like often when like in the ski world or mountain bike world, when we see stuff get heavier, it's usually for durability reasons. So what would your kind of general thought be or, or are brands talking about this? Like, so it just would be interesting if in fact, some of this stuff is getting heavier, but it's getting heavier. And the story the brands are telling is it got more comfortable or are they doing the durability story? Um, I think durability is probably more to paint with a broad brush. More brands are saying durability than comfort necessarily. So it, just as an example, like the Ultra Lone Peak 4.5 that just came out recently this year is heavier than the Lone Peak 4.0 was. And one of the things that Ultra says about the 4.5 is that it's more durable. Same thing goes for the Superior 4.5 that just came out also from Ultra. But I do think there are other brands... Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to generalize because I think different brands have different reasons for changing shoes in ways that make them heavier. So La Sportiva, for example, a lot of their new shoes, like the Lycan 2, which I've been testing out, has way bigger outsole lugs than the previous version. And so, yeah, it makes it heavier. I also think it makes it way better because um, you're not slipping around. Um, so I don't know. I think if we had to say one reason, durability is probably the most common but also each brand and each shoe has their own reasons. Yeah, I think some brands, they're definitely aiming more towards this is a performance improvement where it might not be lighter, but the technology that you're getting with few gram increase is going to make the shoe perform better. Yeah, I will say, I don't think that that's always necessarily a good thing because, you know, with shoe running shoes especially, there is a certain point where if it's super heavy, it's just obnoxious. And so I think... You know, in an ideal world, brands kind of go back and forth and figure out, okay, this is the right balance of durability and weight for this specific shoe. And usually that happens because they listen to feedback, uh, but not always. I, I do think that there have been some shoes that are just getting heavier and there's not like a great reason for it. Well, when we come out with our knit upper carbon accordion midsole trail shoe we'll make sure we kind of go right down the middle like happy medium on weight not too light not too heavy yeah okay the goldilocks yeah that's what we should call the shoe we're working through the names now this is good by the end of this conversation i feel like most of our work will have been accomplished 
I mean, we've talked about like shoes with, you know, monster stack heights, but what's up with shoes like having outsoles that like push out that seemingly like a couple feet behind the shoe? Like what is happening right now? I feel like if I tried to put those shoes on and walk downstairs, I would immediately like pitch forward like and topple down the stairs. I don't honestly get it. I will. So so for those who don't know, Jonathan is definitely referencing the Hoka new 10-9, which they have a notice on their website that they're not for everyday wear. So you should not wear them when you're walking down the stairs. Or they're driving. For, yeah, driving is... Yeah, they say don't wear them when you're walking down the stairs or driving. All right, make the case. Here's the case. The idea is that if you have more surface area in contact with the ground when you're running, particularly on a steep downhill, then you're going to be more stable and you're going to feel smoother. And so Hoka is not actually like the first first brand to try this ultra used to do this with all their trail shoes yeah. much more subtly yeah they had a little more. trail rudder yeah. thing sticking off the back it was yeah. like two millimeters long instead of like two feet long right but same idea um i always thought it was just like kind of a stupid little feature that just added weight and didn't do anything people do say that the 10 nines feel pretty good on downhills but i don't know i uh have to admit, I'm not really sold. They also weigh like 14 ounces. So we're talking about, or 13 ounces, I believe. So we're talking about like shoes that are unnecessarily heavy. There's one for you. Um, well, yeah, you have a spatula sticking out the back of the shoe. Like that's going to add weight. I get the performance aspect, like their whole argument with the surface area. Okay, great. That like, I hear that. But also you look freaking dumb when you wear them. Like no offense to people who love this them. This is a I just safe space, look... Maddie. Thank you so much. I just think they look so stupid. Like, <laughs> I would not want to be seen wearing those, which was Jonathan, when I texted you the picture, I was like, I don't think, if I'm not reviewing those. Like, I don't know when I'd wear them, maybe in the safety of my own home, but that's not good testing. <laughs> when I first saw the uh, picture of the 10 nines, I actually thought it was a post from ultra running memes making fun of Hoka. I thought it was a joke, yeah. But it was actually just Hoka making fun of themselves, I guess? I don't know. I think they released them around April Fool's Day, or like, maybe I'm off on the timeline, but it was close enough that I was like, oh, this is a good joke. And then it wasn't a joke, and people like them, so, you know, maybe they're great. We were talking about how brands are finding all their, their specific audiences and stuff. And, you know, I think, honestly, a shoe like the 10.9 is a sign that, one, the trail running market is getting bigger. And two, there are a lot more trail running shoe manufacturers out there than there used to be. And so now brands are like, what can we do that's going to be totally unique? And Hoka found something. I'll give them that. They totally did. But those shoes are still expensive. Like... They're like $250, which is a lot higher than most trail running shoes. So like, again, I mean, it's just a totally different market because most people won't like that's kind of out of the realm for shoes that aren't the Nike next percents. Like those shoes are $250 too. So I don't know. All I can tell you is I have like a fairly steep staircase in my house and all i can think of is like i would definitely fall to the bottom and like break my head against the wall at the bottom of the stairs if i was wearing those 
So I'm afraid of them is my, that's my take. I'm afraid of them. But you would have a smooth and efficient downhill stride while you did it. So there's that. <laughs> How can you have a smooth and efficient downhill stride when you're falling? This was a weirder conversation than I was expecting. So I'm, uh, I don't know, in a way, like, good job getting weird running industry. And then it will be interesting to see, like, if then in the next year or two, we start to get more sameness coming through, or if we're just on the brink of, like, you know, maybe somebody will take the heel on the 10.9 and then just bring it around to the toe, and then they'll do that and claim it's amazing for something, but you can't drive in it, but it's safer for stairs. I guess we'll have to get to 2021 to find out. I want to talk a little bit about current events. There's a lot to talk about. So Maddie, why don't you start us off? What do you want to talk about? Well, one thing that I think I've been thinking a lot about, but I mean, 2020 is arguably the year of FKTs because so many races have been canceled. Nobody's really racing. The people who are, I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. I feel like there might kind of always be an asterisk next to when you race in 2021, because the whole field isn't necessarily showing up. Like the competition isn't necessarily going to be as deep. So if you win, I mean, people might do the like, well, not everybody was there, Um, which is interesting. Hey, we just had speed goat is forever going to be competitive. We had a stacked field in that one. And my man, Noah, my man, Noah, he's a crusher. I'm a big Noah fan. Sorry, Noah, not to bash on racing. But yeah, so, I mean, there's been a ton of cool attempts going on lately in the FKT world. So, like, Courtney DeWalter went out and tried to do the Colorado Trail, supported. But then we have, you know, um, we're getting some self-supported attempts on the Colorado Trail. There's been a lot of other big efforts made um, in the FKT realm, which I think is going to be interesting, too, because... It's also launching this whole notion of like, you know, we can go out and kind of race whenever. And I think that's cool trend that's happening, at least on that realm. So um, particularly FKT is one of the ones that comes to mind here in Colorado that I think is pretty cool for this year. The Nolan's 14 route um, in central Colorado in the Swatch Mountains. The women's FKT for that has been beaten three times just this summer. Um, which is pretty crazy, especially considering that the first women to do that were in 2015, so not all that long ago, and that was Anna Frost and Missy Gosney. Um, and so to see that record be broken three times in one summer, I think really speaks to the, the higher volume of people who are giving FKTs a shot uh, since, the, since races aren't really a thing. Yeah, I mean, and even just to Nolan's, like, that's a crazy route. I did one section of it this summer and like I have the utmost respect for people who try to do that because it's just scree fields like that's essentially what you're doing the whole time which is not fast and it's hard like mentally and physically it seems like a lot more people are even considering attempting that this year which is huge so I've got a question you know Courtney was just attempting this 500 miler and you know by the way, shout out to Courtney and like hope you are feeling better and doing better soon. Um, we just were talking with Camille Heron on Off the Couch and she's talking about going after multi-day, longer distance, you know, efforts. Where are we 
on the distance thing right now? Like what's, what do we think is the trend now? Is, are we still trending longer, longer? Do you predict that we will see that pull back a bit? Um, or are we just getting started on like, I'm going to do a 5,000 mile effort. Like what, where, what do you guys, where do you guys think we are? I feel like it's super similar to what we were talking about with the like whole niche audience for running brands. It's the same thing with these like super long attempts. There's only going to be a certain niche of people who even think the notion of running 500 or a thousand or 1500 miles sounds fun at all. So once you distill that down, I mean, it does seem like there's more people going though for sections of the long trails. Um, like the the Oregon section of the Pacific Crest Trail has bro- been broken twice this summer by different women. So stuff like that is starting to happen more too. Um, so I, I think there is going to be an increase generally in the longer stuff, particularly these trails that aren't, you know, established races around them. Um, just because I think the time standards are going to keep getting set a little higher um, as more people do them. I mean, I was I was really in- excited to see what Courtney was going to do on the Colorado trail. It was unfortunate that that fell apart the way it did, but I mean, somebody else is going to raise the bar if not her. Yeah. I think the trend more so isn't necessarily going to be towards like a certain distance as it is to just trying routes rather than going for like, Oh, I'm going to go do a hundred mile or a 200 mile or a 50 K since those race things aren't really an option right now, I think a lot of people and particularly a lot of sponsored runners are looking for other ways to challenge themselves and also to, you know, make headlines and get noticed. Um, particularly people who are sponsored, like suddenly you're not able to race. How are you going to make sure that you're still a valuable asset to your brand? It's like, Oh, here's this crazy 500 mile route. That's pretty well known. You go do that. And like, that's a way to get your name out there. So I think, and the FKTs have always kind of been that way, but it's more been like, there are a few big FKTs like Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim or Nolan 14 um, that are really well known and people, you know, go after them aggressively. And then there are a ton of kind of obscure ones that people don't really know about. I think one thing that'll be interesting to watch is whether or not some of those more obscure ones that are now getting more attempts because of the lack of races become more competitive and then are like a bigger deal in future years. Um, I think long-term though, once races come back, FKTs are going to get a lot less popular again. Like I think if people were given the option, everyone would still be racing right now. I totally agree. And like, just as seems like some of the conversations I've been having and maybe everybody thinks this is obvious, but you know, we've been saying like, this has been the year of the FKT, but lest anybody assume that what, well, I won't speak for you guys, but certainly my position is not that people are going to be like, oh, we can just do FKTs. We're not going to enter races anymore. I don't believe that at all. I think like people will be psyched and hungry to get back into that kind of communal event, running with other runners. And um, so I, uh, if we're placing bets or something, I think as soon as we are able to get kind of all of the races back online, there's not going to be like a lag in interest um, from runners out there. So you guys are on the same page. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. You can tell people are hungry for the communal aspect that racing brings. Um, I think the minute that it's safe to do those at full scale again, they'll be back. Maybe more popular than ever. Maddie, I wanted to ask you a question because I realized you and I had not talked about this, but you won Tahoe Rim 100 last year. Youngest person, male or female, to ever win it, right? That is correct. That is correct. Oh, she looks real. <laughs> if you guys could see her right now, she does not like she does not like this line of questioning right now. She's getting very shy and sheepish. But we you and I had not talked about like that had to be some kind of bummer. I don't like either devastatingly crushing or <laughs> you know, somewhere between that and like, ah, oh, that's really sucks that like you couldn't go back and defend or I don't know what, how have you been feeling about that? Or are you like, this is awesome. I don't have to run a hundred. That's what I would be saying if I were you. My plan was actually not to go back this year. I wanted to try a different course. I want to get more experience and I want to go back to Tahoe when I feel like I can actually go for the course record on it which I think I need more experience for. So I was going to go try to diversify myself in the races I was doing. So I was not signed up for Tahoe. The race I was signed up for in September just officially got canceled on Monday, I believe. I was signed up for Run Rabbit Run 100, which is in Steamboat Springs. But I've, yeah, I mean, it's a bummer, but I think I'm kind of on the same boat with everybody else where it's like, well, you know, I'm, uh, that's okay. I mean, everybody's going through it. I've, I've kind of pivoted with my plans a little bit and I'm still hoping to be able to use my accumulated fitness for something, which is in the works. Is that like a teaser? Tell us. I'm going back to my original plan, and I'm going to attempt the Cocopelli Trail. Okay. In October, I think, is my plan right now. So I am, yeah, gearing up for that. Do you probably need me to pace you on the whole thing? The whole thing, yeah. You want to do 140 miles? <laughs> I'm going to say yes so that the people <laughs> listening to this think I'm a badass but but then when this ends I'm going to I'm going to totally back out. But yeah, so totally 140 count me in. Perfect. Perfect. I'll put your name in for the whole pacing thing. Quick update. How are you two feeling like in terms of injuries? Both of you been kind of dealing with some stuff. Um I just tell you you guys run too much. You know, that's so that's why like I'm probably the healthiest of us. Because I keep my mileage. I'm good at keeping my mileage in check. Whereas you two, you two, I don't know. But how are you? Give me the update. How are you guys feeling? <laughs> well, feeling a lot better now. Um, yeah, so there's kind of ironic timing, actually. So mid, mid-May, uh, just as everything was being canceled, um, I got a stress fracture in my ankle. Um which at first I was devastated because I've been training really well and was super stoked on the racing season. And then like immediately a day later, all the races I was signed up for got canceled. And I was like, well, could be worse timing. Um, and so, and then I started a job on beginning of June uh, on a professional trail crew in Gunnison here. So I've started pretty much doing 40 hours a week of trail building um, with a partially healed stress fracture, which is not really the most conducive thing to recovery, as you might be able to guess. Um, so that, that slowed things down quite a bit uh, on the recovery side of things, but I've been been getting back into it now. Um, and actually, the 100 miler that I'm signed up for 
in mid-September just announced a couple weeks ago that there's still a go on a modified course, which is actually harder than their original course. It's just like, what? Why? Yeah. And so I've, I'm figuring out whether or not I'm going to be to a point where I won't re-injure myself by doing that or not. What race are you signed up for? God, I hate this name. It's the I'm Tough 100. Yeah. The Idaho, tough, Idaho Mountain it, Trail Ultra Festival. It's like, yeah. come on, guys. That's the most contrived acronym in the world. Do better. Hey, you are tough. It's eh, perfect. We'll see about that. <laughs> What's the acronym? So it's I'm Tough Idaho Mountain Trail Ultra Festival. Yeah, it's it's a, I don't know. I still think they should change it to be like, I'm stupid or like, I'm really tired or like, um, I'm dumb. I need to reevaluate my life choices. Yeah. I regret my decisions. So yeah, we'll see. That one's scheduled for September 12th right now. So it's about a month out. And yeah, I don't know. I will we'll have to figure out and I'll keep you guys posted on whether or not I decide to be tough or not. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, do you need me to pace you on that for the full 100? Oh, totally. Okay. They might only allow paces for the last 50, but uh, yeah, you're in. I mean, I probably need to do the whole thing just to show I'm tough and then I'll just keep running and then go meet up wherever I got to meet Maddie to do hers, Cocapelli FKT. Hey, I mean, as you we were saying, the long routes are definitely in right now. So you'd be you'd be super trendy. You could wear 10 nines while you did it too. Sick. I'm going to be very on trend. Any other current events that we should be highlighting? No, I think everybody's just got to keep their eyes peeled for FKTs that are coming. Uh, the FKT website, it's easy to track like who's doing what. Which has actually been super fun because people who are doing the longer trails like will put their tracking link on so you can see where they are and what they're doing, which has been fun with the routes that are international. I think it's fun to watch. I'm a nerd, so I think it's fun. But yeah, I think that would probably be my big thing. Wait, you didn't tell us how you're feeling. I feel great. Do you? Are you like 100? Are you like 100%? I am the least broken I've been in a while, which is pretty fun. So... (laughs) You can take that however you want. All right. Wow. (laughs) But yeah, we've been doing less volume. um, And I finally am doing workouts again, like intensity workouts. Uh, And now I've decided I want Strava crowns in Boulder. So that's been the new fun thing. So it's really hard in Boulder. People are fast here. But yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Less broken than you've ever been. Wow. <laughs> I mean, good, but also kind of somehow sad. I don't know really how to think about that, but uh, but I guess I'm glad to hear it. Coming from a runner, that's about as good as you're gonna get. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, uh, I always love checking in with you two, and we'll do this again, and we won't wait as long as we did for whatever, I don't know, reason uh, since the last time. So, uh, but I appreciate you catching us up on the state of the running shoe market and more or less giving us a state of current events, even though we mostly ended up just talking about how you two are feeling and what you're going to be doing. And I'm not mad about that at all, to be honest. So there you go. Yeah, thanks, you two. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Okay, we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Maddie and Gordon for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. 
please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.